Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. The very best of last week's rugby coaching webinars and podcasts, reviewed by host Phil Flewellyn and his special guests. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for season two as we continue to delve into the world of sports coaching. My guests will be presenting their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. As always, I'm delighted to have three wonderful individuals join me this week. So if you'd like to introduce yourselves and tell us your current role. Uh, so Clarissa Murphy, I'm currently an RFU coach developer as a main time role. Um, and more recently been coaching at Sheffield Ladies as head coach. Hi, I'm uh, Benny Williams and I'm head of women's development at Worcester Warriors. Hi, I'm Pat Metcalf-Jones. I co-lead on the women's blues with Phil at Oxford University and I coach Oxford Brooks and Oxford Harlequins as well. Fantastic. Uh, big welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, wonderful to have you all on. Really excited to, to see kind of what stuff we get into today. Uh, just before we do that, a reminder to anyone listening uh, to check out the blurb for links to all the content that we discuss and the recommendations to other high quality podcasts. So uh, Clarissa, we are coming to you first. What is it that you're uh, going to talk us through? Um, so I listened to a podcast on the psych show with Dan Abrahams and he had guest Amy Price on which I'm sure quite a lot of coaches by now are pretty familiar with um with her, all of her like game stuff that she's done but this one was looking at um helping players understand their game understanding um and like it was a lot around um like cognitive and metacognitive learning um and how sort of you digging deep in a player's actually thinking about the processes of what they're doing so rather than just coaching them as um like they can respond to an action or they can like answer questions like actually how are they thinking about the process and what are they actually um like what are the things of when and why um other things i'd like picked up on that was really good um looking at it as an outcome versus process sort of thing so i think sometimes like you'll see something happen you'll go to have those one-to-one conversations with a player um about say like what did you see or why did you do that but actually digging deep into like what they're thinking and why that process and that response happened like why they chose to kick for space say for instance um and actually what the thought process was behind that i felt found really really interesting um some some things that she picked up on as well was like um how like not to fear the pace of it so actually slowing things down and not be scared to it doesn't always have to be 100 miles per hour which i think initially when like the whole like games and levels and pauses come into it it seemed like so many things that you could have um and so much to it that you almost it almost felt like 110 miles per hour when you were sort of doing that sort of practice um but actually thinking like how can you pay bring it back and slow it down because actually if you slowed it down you're going to give them players that chance to actually think about what they're doing a little bit more um and then the other thing was just around like a varied practice so actually understanding that it doesn't always have to look like a game which I think I've explored quite a lot in my coaching more recently in that not actually thinking everything's got to be game-based and things can be isolated practice but actually should I like explored that as an option of being that although you can go into isolated practice there actually is time to still like have that metacognition in there like how we actually think within them 
um, isolated practices um, and how you can get players to think about what maybe that they're good at or how they learn or say if you're just doing like a basic skill of passing actually <clears throat> what are they thinking about while doing it when is it that their like brain span like goes away or that they're not concentrating how can they bring themselves back as a player um and just that when when we're using a game we sort of assume that because it's a game it's like what a game day will look like but actually that presumes that the attack and the defense are playing exactly how they want them to in a game which we've all been in a situation where we're coaching and actually the defence isn't that great or the attack isn't that great. So actually how realistic is it? Um, which I found like a different way of looking at it because I think it has always been the natural assumption and I'm guilty of it too, that when I put a game in play, I assume that that's the most likely scenario because they play a game on game day. Um, so yeah, it was like, I found that really interesting and I learned quite a lot from that. Fantastic. I, there's tons to, to unpick from kind of what you said there and, and definitely what Amy went through. It was, it was one of my favourite podcasts recently, actually. So I, I guess my first question would be, I'll probably come at this in, in slightly reverse order, but what does that decision-making conversation with a player look like for you in your environment? Because I'm, I'm always interested in those. But they're crucial. I think they're things that we do all of the time, but actually going about that conversation, how, how do you approach it? How do you think the player approaches it? Kind of just delve a little bit more into that if we can. Um, yeah, so giving it a little bit of thought, I think going into um, Chef with the head coach stuff really gave me the opportunity to do the off the field stuff that I think I've maybe wanted to do in the past, but lacked the opportunity and actually being able to have those on field decision-making conversations comes a lot from being able to do that off field work and, getting to know someone because I think sometimes you can approach somebody during a game because you want to talk about like their decision making but actually they, they think oh well uh, why are you taking me out of the game like I want to be in it or like that understanding of like that you're okay to slow down and come out of it and have that conversation but it's because you've done that pre-work with them before and they're happy to actually just have that conversation with you and it doesn't feel like you're testing them on the spot of like well why did you do that and I think it all just come from like the off-field relationship um and having that understanding that you're also the kind of coach that will do that. So being open that it's something that you want to explore and finding out which players is best way to do it with. So whether it is like in-game one-to-one or whether it's after that game's happened, like are they better in action like or like on action sort of things? So um, I think just like that for me personally um, is something that I've had an opportunity to explore. And then even just using, I've used pause quite a lot um, out of like that, model that um, Amy's put together I've, I've tried to use that quite a bit with actually getting them to think about their decision making and thinking when do they actually need to take a step back because obviously with that slow it down I think I've been guilty of not slowing it down but actually giving them the opportunity to as well um, has been quite key for for those decision making opportunities. I'm really glad you mentioned the off-field stuff. So th this was kind of my follow-up question and it, it's almost like it was planned. It definitely isn't. For anyone that listens regularly, they'll definitely know it's not planned. But um, so the analogy I use for this quite a lot is the Wizard of Oz. So at the end, they, they get to meet the wizard and it's the all singing, all dancing and looks very fancy and everything else. And, and then um, I think it's Toto goes and kind of finds out that behind the curtain, there is a guy pulling the levers and he's the wizard, but it's, it's completely fake. And the reason I use that is I would say as coaches, we're, we're behind the curtain, you know, pulling the levers and pulling the strings and doing lots of different things. So when it comes to cognition and metacognition, how much 
and I'll open this up to all three of you, but how much do you want to show the players what behind the curtain looks like? Can, can we just go out there and play some games and then create some practices, whether it's, you know, low or high levels of variability and all that type of stuff and just expect them to understand it? Or do we need to invest quite a lot of time in them recognizing why we're asking the questions we ask or why we're creating the environment we create to learn about cognition and metacognition or actually does them knowing about it what's behind the curtain lose the effect of why we do it if that makes sense oh i'll uh i hit, hit the read running first i think from from everybody else uh so i'd say i'd say it would definitely be a bit of a mixture because um I think in certain instances when I've been in other environments and that hasn't been known as to like why we're sort of asking the questions and why why like the why behind things um is when you're sort of getting like 50% from players in their responses and like actually buying into that that whole process and actually delving into the, what they're thinking because I think sometimes you can have those conversations and I think I've achieved I thought I've achieved it before but then this has made me think actually I've just hit like service of it and actually I haven't hit like the thinking behind it and for me it was like actually asking those questions around the thinking um which I think if players are really blinded by that and they don't know anything about it like if it's new to us as a concept as coaches then how like new is it going to be to them so definitely in a way for me it would be making sure that there's some like two-way conversation there and they sort of know a little bit behind the curtain stuff um but like I think if we're open with absolutely everything then we're not gonna get some things out of players that they maybe are trying to like keep a secret sort of thing or not so open about so it's definitely a combination for me. Nice I love that. Benny, Pat what are you thinking? Um, yeah for me it, it's similar it's it's not necessarily one or the other thing and it depends a lot on the players and it depends what at that point in time you're wanting to get out of of training and play so um i would definitely say there's um there's a kind of exploration phase where you're asking the questions and wanting the players to explore and discover for themselves and sometimes it moves more into um that instruction and actually helping the players um understand by by going through in in that greater detail around why you're wanting them to make the decisions that they are so again like Clarissa a bit of both but I think it really depends on on the player and also what phase and training you're at with with the team yeah I'm not going to change anyone's answers really in terms of I think it's balance and I think that's something I recently like finished my level three and a lot of I think my final presentation that I was going to give it was all about balance um I think you can relate that to a lot of different parts of coaching, but like on most RFU courses, you have the tell, sell, delegate, ask, and actually those kind of things, it is about balance. And sometimes you do need to tell them about something and then other times you kind of ask them and let them develop. But I think you have to really know your players to be able to kind of know which one you're going to sit with them at that particular time. So, so off the back of that, and again, open question to anyone that wants to jump in, how much would you be, I guess, overt in, in planning the kind of the decision-making stuff? Is, is that something that comes secondary to how you function your session? Or is that where you'd start your planning process and then build uh, the activity or the game or whatever kind of coming second to that? What, what would those processes look like for you guys? Um, for me, it would very much be 
decision making first and then planning planning the the session around that um and thinking about how to facilitate um i suppose that behind the curtains wanting a certain outcome but trying to facilitate that in a session in a way that the players arrive at it themselves um so for me it's like what the purpose is of it first um and then i'll base my session around how we get to that purpose at the end of it um so for me it's a little bit of like I've tried to base a bit around like a question and actually answering the question um, and I feel like that's helped like me as a coach know where we're going with things because actually are we answering the question during it so for me it'd be like starting with that and then being able to build layers to it and being able to know how I'm going to interact with players and so for me it might be like setting a challenge of what actually that looks like in practice like how many times am I interacting with them but then actually knowing when I'm on the field, actually, I might have said that I needed to improve my interaction with players, but right now, like, I can see that learning happening and actually stepping back. Um, so, like, for me, it's been around, like, having those ideas, like, in the background, but initially just, like, posing that question and seeing how we're answering it as a group. I love that. Yeah, I, I, some really interesting elements of, of just how the, the difference in planning and around the subtlety around it, but actually, yeah, I guess you're starting with as I think all the three of you mentioned the word why you kind of initially you're starting with that why and then and then working back which is great and it also tees us up quite nicely to move on uh, to Benny because um, I believe you're going to be looking at Simon Sinek and, and he was pretty much made famous for his kind of uh, discussions and speeches around understanding a why I appreciate that's not what you're going to be looking at but it segues in quite nicely so yeah um, I'm quite a big fan of Simon Sinek and um when I was looking at what content to use, I think when I saw his empathy YouTube clip, I was like, yeah, I think that's that's bang on of what I want to talk about. So um, he does talk about a lot on this particular YouTube clip around um, business, but he does in his book. I think we can relate it to everything, especially when he talks about leaders, because you've got leaders in all sorts of ways of life. Um, so he starts off in terms of talking about what what leaders need and um, he says empathy and perspective and I think that I totally agree with him but um, so he starts off and says like what is the real job of a leader and if you look at it in a business term it's to look after the people that take care of the job um, and I think that can be sometimes missed because as a a junior you know how to be good at your job and if you take that as players you know how to mostly do your job and then as you get promoted you you need to learn how to be a leader and I think that's something that in terms of coaching is how do we actually create those leaders before the the leaders if that makes sense so he talks about a, a particular person at uh, two hotel so he works at Four Seasons and then he works at Caesars Palace um, and he asks this particular guy why do you why do you like your job and he says I feel that I I get looked after um, so he delves into that a little bit more and his bosses ask how he is every day and also how they can support him doing his job the best so like relating that to coaching that's how I'd like to react um, interact with my players in terms of asking how they are and like making sure they feel cared for but also always asking how I can be like how I can support them better in anything in their learning or anything they're having troubles with um, whereas at Caesar Palace he 
gets asked or he gets or he feels that he's um or we're trying to be caught out and I think sometimes we need like I have seen coaches always trying to catch people out sometimes and that might be off field it might be on the actual field and not looking for those good bits um but it's all about creating that right environment so he feels that at uh, the four seasons he gets that right environment whereas the other one he doesn't um and then he also another bit that really I really liked was um someone in a business for example and the numbers are down and they say right your numbers are down you're giving me no option to let you go whereas actually why are why is his numbers down like try and ask that person how they are and what might be going on at home and that might give you actually the real answer to what's happening to that person uh, like again relating that back to coaching as you always see a different performance in people actually why is that and there could be so many reasons that you don't know about until you ask um amazing there's a couple of really key bits and i, I watched it just before we started this actually it was, it was very very interesting only 14 minutes which is brilliant as well because it's definitely kind of my attention span so um <laughs> I'll pick up on the bit where you talked about is our job as coaches or, or as leaders, call it whatever you want, to, to kind of catch people doing the wrong stuff or is it to support them doing the right thing? And I definitely, on reflection, I definitely think that's where I started coaching. And I don't know whether that was because that's the way I was coached or whether it's just how I see or saw being a coach at the time, but it was my job is to critique stuff and then try and make the critique better. And I wonder if that's a similar experience for you guys, but also is that something maybe that's changed in the coach education landscape within the last five, 10 years? Are we now looking at coaches as being far more about rewarding positivity and about creating better environments where people want to, you know, try things and, and fail, but then keep trying and, and, and achieve rather than the coach being the person that's, that's just that critical eye all the time saying, well, that was good, but we can be better at X or Y or Z. So just a, yeah, a very open-ended question, but I'm wondering what your experiences of that are and do we think that has changed, you know, somewhat recently? I think it has, I think it has changed recently. Um, but I think you still have elements of it. And I think when I was younger, I definitely experienced it. I used to play a bit of basketball, which might surprise everyone because I'm five foot nothing. But I had a coach who... If you did something wrong, that was it. You're on the bench. As soon as you did something wrong, you're back on the bench because that's the kind of game basketball is. It's quite short and sharp. And, and actually, that doesn't develop confidence. It doesn't develop that player. So, like, even in, say, rugby selection is, what did they do wrong in that game? Okay, are we going to drop them or not? And that sometimes does happen in certain environments. But actually, could we change the question and how have they kept that shirt? And I think that's a better way to select your players than trying to look at what did they do wrong. Um, yeah, so I'd say definitely for me, I've I've definitely seen it like with it when I've been out like working with coaches or um, from being coached myself that it's almost like the way a coach coaches is to like look for something they can improve or do more of or like so they have to almost like look for those like mistakes or things that are going wrong to feel like they're coaching. Um, but I do think like there has been a big education piece around like how we actually coach a lot different and a lot of even like the off the field and off the ball stuff has really changed that um, 
and actually rather than looking for like things that are going wrong looking for everything else that's happening and having those interactions with players of like what's being seen and and things like that that's almost like that education piece that's changing people from feeling like they can coach in another way rather than having to look for mistakes to coach um because I feel like I've, I've definitely experienced that it's like well that didn't go right so I'll change this game or change the practice or I'll pull people out and do something different because they can't do it or they didn't do it or um or they've not executed it well sort of thing and I think it is like that education piece around actually how can you coach in another way um, and how can you have that impact on players yeah um I'd agree with both of you and I I've only been coaching for three four years but I've seen a big change in terms of the coach education um focusing on on rewarding positive um behaviors and um uh and not leaning so heavily towards constantly um criticizing and again um we've talked about it before today but i think striking a balance is is crucial um because you want you want to be able to pick up um on some of the things that your players can improve on because if they don't have that um that self-awareness themselves um it's it's important for them to develop that that they do understand where they could be better but it's equally crucial that um that they know what they're doing well and what they're doing right um in the hope that they do more of it and if you have a player who's got two or three key strengths we want to be maximizing that in games and training we want that to uh to put them in positions and for them to put themselves in positions where where they really use their strengths and um i think framing um framing work ons around strengths and develop strength development is is a key part as well so that if yeah like i said if we have a player who is particularly talented say around the breakdown that we're that we're facilitating as much breakdown contact as possible um for for best results on game day and to make the most out of that player how much do you think we are influenced as coaches by the perception of, let's say, society as to what coaching is or what coaching looks like? And and I guess maybe that's framed more for coaches that probably coach kids. I, th- I think there's going to be more adults on that touchline. They've probably got a, a bigger impact potentially on the relationship they have with the coach. I'm thinking kind of university senior level there there will be fans there will be people there but i i'm i'm just trying to think actually are there just behaviors we exhibit because that's what we think coaching is and it's not necessarily effective i'm kind of you know mind jump straight to like the pre-game team talk have we ever actually asked the players whether it's useful uh, who you know there's that famous story about graham henry and i think it was richard mccaw saying to him like mate just stop it this is for you it's not for us like we don't want it so you know i i, I see a lot of coaches they'll scream and they'll shout from the touchline and or they'll feel their need to be really engaged and almost commentate on the session is is that because if we're quiet and we're just having little one-to-one conversations, people are like, well, well what's the coach doing? Like, I, I don't know. I'd be interested, again, in your experiences of, have you ever felt you had to exhibit behaviours or do we think that they they do exist, but maybe not necessarily in the environments you guys are in? Um, I think as a coach and a senior, I, I do a bits and bobs with um, Worcester Warriors first team. It's all like, we give them a lot of, influence over what they want so 
Joe's got a working group of like um, leaders on and off the pit. So we kind of take a little bit of, well, we take a lot of what they say and what they want for those kind of things. I think as a coach in the centre of excellence, if I'm honest, I don't really take too much of what people are saying on the sideline or they're not interacting there, they're not interacting there. I try and keep my own, um, I think how to word this, confidence of what I'm doing to actually best help those players and I know parents in the the sideline or stands have their own opinions but I have to kind of keep true to what I believe in and there there is a time for feedback from certain people obviously but if you keep true to what you believe in if I'm not shouting and hollering at the players that's what I'm that's my true like north I don't want to be doing that as a coach I don't think that's helpful to those players but there is perceptions of from especially from um parents or other people that might not be involved in coaching that that's how you coach because you sometimes see it on the sideline at football matches for example you can see um in Premier League games where some coaches are shouting and hollering at the players, but that's just not who I am as a coach. So you have to have confidence in who you are and what you believe in. I'd uh, I definitely like support like how what Benny's saying on the, like believing in what you do, and I think that comes from like being being comfortable in like not being part of like a pact or something, and not having to be something that you're not, and actually being in your own comfort zone to maybe not always follow the norms. And I've heard examples of like when there's been like CB coaching and they've been like encouraging players to have like player huddles and have their leaders within the group actually lead on things at like half time things like that and actually parents have commented and other coaches that have been there watching from like clubs and stuff have been like well what are the what the CB coaches even doing you're not even coaching like but actually they are coaching but I, I like you say I think is that perception of the it almost ha- they feel like it has to be hands on for you to be coaching, but actually, half the stuff that we do isn't ha- hands on, and it's building those leaders. It's like developing players to be comfortable themselves to to actually like reflect and things like that. And if we want people to be able to do that, it requires you to take a step back. And I do think a lot of it comes from just being comfortable to just not like to almost be like a shepherd and not a sheep, like you do your thing because that's what you are um and I think I think a lot has changed recently in the sense that a lot more coaches you don't see as many every Sunday morning or something like heckling at players and things like it is it is a shift that's happening and people are understanding that actually you're not going to create leaders by constantly shouting at people um so yeah I definitely think it's out there but there's there's more happening to change that I think just picking up on Clarissa's point like I totally agree in terms of there is being a massive shift in terms of how coaches are interacting with their players in a really positive way and I I generally think that's because especially in the younger age bracket of um people like coaches coaching from like under sevens upwards they're really taking on board those coach education especially with rugby union like I saw because I used to work as a CRC um, as well is they really want to take on board that information I think where the work is is sometimes in those senior teams where they might have been coaching for 10-15 years and they think they know best and 
not necessarily want to take on that information and that is the group that need it the most and that's the most difficult bit but there's such a massive shift in that younger bracket of coaches that's good yeah I think um for me different coaching styles are really really important and the one of the great things about having larger coaching teams um is that you get a variety of coaching styles. So I think it would be a mistake um, to to try to mould any coach into the model of what a coach should be, um, whether that goes one way or the other way. Um, But actually allowing, like you both said, um, coaches to be themselves and to coach in their own ways and and working to complement each other as a team, I think is much more important than... And trying to find a perfect balance because players will will react to different coaches in different ways and for some players the coach who um who plays bad cop might be uh might be for them what they want um out of their coach and for others um they want to have those small one-on-one conversations um uh, and that's more important um so yeah i definitely think um coach education is is a fantastic support for coaches but that shouldn't the aim of that shouldn't be to to form styles of coaching rather to to help different coaches work together nice i i think it gets really interesting when you then throw player feedback into that so some of the uh in canada some of the kind of uh, provincial seven stuff i was doing so uh, 16 to 18 19 year olds and just part of that feedback was uh, it was actually done separately, so the, the one of the BC staff members took it and then, you know, got the got the feedback from the players, and then we all sh- and sat in the room and shared that, or they shared it with me. And one of them was actually they wanted, and I, I, I presume because that's what they were used to, they wanted a little bit more aggression, they wanted a little bit more of a, a shout and tell them what to do thing. And I was just sat there, and I, I, I genuinely felt really awkward. I was like, fellas, that that's just not how I coach. Like it would it would be so false for me to do that. But I'm also really conscious if that's what you're asking for, am I doing you a disservice by then not providing that? And it was this, yeah, my brain hurt after the end of it because I was just like, I really don't know what the answer of that is. And I'm still not sure I've got an answer that, that if that's alien to me, is it doing what I they need me to do? Is it maybe then trying to re-educate them on, is there actually any proven benefit to me doing that? Or is it just a little bit of a placebo for them? And I'm probably trying to dissect that, but it's it's definitely one I think about quite often of what, what happens when your players ask you for stuff that maybe isn't you. Um, so there is one other point on this I, I want to jump to relatively quickly, and that was just around kind of um, selection and, and the word empathy. So I, I really like the story that, that Simon tells in the little video of the person whose sales are down for for three quarters and and rather than sacking them actually what can I do for you and and can you know how can I make things better so are we too quick as coaches to drop somebody where does empathy come or belong when we start talking about selection and and what our job is as a coach to service the needs of a player within that kind of discussion what are what are our thoughts um I think for me I'd I'd also listened, like, in building up, like, for what I was going to talk about today, I'd also listened to another podcast, um, which Phil Neville led on um, with high performance, and he spoke a lot in there about, like, empathy, and he spoke about an example that he had with the women's football and how he'd 
knew that two of his players had two really big occasions coming up with two of their mums that had died and he knew that one of them's was her birthday on a really big game um and another one's who was their first game playing since their mum had died and like him he said like how he knew about that already um and having known about that knowing how to react like to that situation and originally three months ago he was like well I'm I'm coming into a really big game like I'm I'm actually thinking I'm not going to select one of my best players because of that situation but then when it came to it he was like actually it's going to be really important for them to be on the pitch um, and be part of that game and be like in it and actually do something really important for them for what stands for them to do with their mum and I think I think a big part of it comes from building that empathy before so do we actually just get to that selection day so you say that selections were Thursday and those conversations haven't been happening for the last month or you don't know what's happened even that week then I think that's when when coaches are like well the, yeah they'll get dropped or this will happen but I think empathy comes over time and getting to know your players and being able to have those conversations that it's not a case of just you're in or you're out um and it actually what how could performing on that day actually build on them? Because I think sometimes you can get to a point, I've even had a player maybe I've not, not done so well and actually being able to get, get that chance to go again actually will make me come out so much better rather than if actually you'd left me off on that time for the next like two, three weeks, I'm probably not going to come back to my normal performance. So actually how can you have those conversations before and build that before and get to know them before? to be able to just avoid that situation. It, it makes me think we're slightly damned if we do, damned if we don't, that if you drop a player after they've had a bad game, it compounds it. So if you said, okay, the best thing we can do for you is keep you for another week. And actually then we look at, well, okay, can we drop a player that's had a good game because there's going to be less of an impact, but then maybe that just pisses them off because they're going, well, I've had a really good game and I'm still not in the team. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, Benny, Pat, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, it is it is a complicated um, area of, of the job. And I think, again, I would agree with Clarissa, um, empathy and having had those conversations before you get to selection day is really important. Um, but I think frequent rotation with the squad anyway can help a lot. Um, so taking whether you've performed well or not well somewhat out of the selection criteria for for every game um so ideally if you've got a squad size of 26 28 um you'd be wanting to look at all of those players frequently getting game time and i think it's about bringing everyone up to to the standard that you'd be confident in them doing the job at which point um it becomes far less about um i suppose about their individual um on selection day and more about okay well if we're comfortable with our team um you know it's time for everyone to to get another shot um and and really making sure that those who aren't selected still feel part of that process and the build-up to to all games um so yeah that ties in a little bit um around uh what what i looked at um this week uh, in preparation for, for the conversation. So, yeah, I'd say definitely building relationships with your players, but being confident and your players being confident that they fit into that environment um, and selection is just a normal part of that. Yeah, I agree with Pat in terms of, in terms of that selection, you've got to be able to have the right environment that say that person that isn't performing well 
is that they still feel cared for but they also know how like how do we move on from this how can we like help how can we get to the place that you were previous or and that might be on or on or off the field how we can help them with that you've also got to think of those players that maybe are performing and how they need to be rewarded for that as well so it's making sure that you have an environment that they all feel cared for because uh, and then you probably won't have those reactions of someone getting really upset particularly Um, everyone obviously you want to play but yeah it's about that environment as just Pat has just said great stuff Uh, Pat we will shift it back to you um, so kind of segues quite nicely again. So uh, talk us through what uh, what your content was for this week. Um, I listened to The Rugby Dungeon with Rob Baxter, um, which uh, I think came out about a week, 10 days ago. Um, and I was interested because obviously um, as a coach, he's just com- come off the back of a couple of uh, quite big successes um and that they were so close together in terms of um champions cup and then premiership final um and like we've just talked about selection how can you have um you know a team going out so close together um and how can you make uh you know if you've performed really well which clearly you have if you've just won one cup final how can you make changes and work within a squad for the for the next um so um selection and the environment around that was one of the the kind of key takeaways from um that that interview and another one was um i suppose uh around how exeter and um baxter want to look to play the game um and really playing to the picture in front of you rather than um just playing your own game um was my other takeaway from um from the interview so um what he was saying was the environment that they've created is one where all players feel part of it whether they're playing in that game or not and um there was a really interesting point where um the interviewer said i would really struggle to pick my extra top 15 um, but Baxter turned around and said, yes, you probably would, but you probably would be able to pick 26, 28 um, players. And, and rotation was a big thing um, for them. And actually, the key players a lot of time were the group that weren't playing, so the group that were hurting possibly after selection decisions. Um, and it was how they contributed for the game ahead. Um, so already doing the analysis work and how they fitted into training around the group that were, were preparing for the next game, um, which I think ties in quite nicely to what we were just talking about, the environment that they create and actually um, giving players a purpose, even if it's, um, if it's not for the immediate term. Um, but what really... Um, I suppose made me think a lot afterwards was um, what he talked about in in terms of his recruitment process and actually which players he invited into that environment. Um, and for him, he was saying it was uh, it was crucial that they had genuine self awareness. So um, he'd watch the he'd watch 
the highlight footage um, beforehand and he would go into kind of minute detail about um, a player's game, watching what they do off the ball, on the ball in, um, in tens of games beforehand before he would come in to, to speak to a player who they were looking to recruit. Um, and more important than them doing the right thing on every occasion was that they were aware of what they did well and what they didn't do well. Um, and, and that just means that they've got potential because if they can self-identify those strengths and weaknesses, they're essentially what we would call coachable. And I think it's quite interesting because at a professional level, you're able to go through that recruitment process because you have far more control about what players come into your environment and, and what players don't. Um, whereas uh, certainly for, for me in a university context uh, and in a grassroots roots context, I don't have as much control. So we have a first, second, third team and you have um, obviously control in who's playing in what team at universities. Um, but for, for me as a coach, it's far more important trying to instill self-awareness in players rather than them coming to you as completely coachable to begin with. Um, and again, I think that ties up quite nicely into that decision-making process um, and cognition that uh, Clarissa, you spoke about um, in terms of how, what are players thinking and how, how are they going through that thought process? Um, and how aware they are of the decisions that, that they're making when you're dealing with players who are at lots of different stages um, of, of that development. So I thought that was quite an interesting comparison um, really to, to the professional game and the amateur game. Um, and then the, my other kind of uh, thought after the interview was just around, um, as I said, playing to the picture in front of you. Um, and um, he met, yeah, Baxter made some really interesting points around the current format of the game um, and the importance of those power fatigue elements like the scrum, the driving mall, um, and, and how the having those in the game then opened up other areas of the game. So um, if, if you use a mall, which obviously extra do or did for a very long time consistently uh, driving more was a big part of their game teams would say well that's very difficult to defend um, well actually you can just match um, you know you can just match numbers and you can throw weight into that driving mall the issue with that is that it leaves you open um, for for the attacking team to pass the ball and use width um, and that really their whole uh, philosophy was around in choosing the the best option based on the picture in front of you. And I think that ties into to some of the work that actually Phil and I have been doing together with Oxford University. So it was quite nice to hear about that in a, in a different setting as well. Brilliant. There's, there's a few bits to unpick within that. So I'm really interested in um, how would all of you develop coachability in players? What does that actually look like as a, from a, I guess, a process perspective, from an actual practical perspective? How do, how do you grow self-awareness in an individual that has less than an ideal amount currently? Um, I think 
just starting off with any kind of self-reflection, whether it's a conversation or it's um, a match review or training review can be really helpful just in asking, um, I suppose, the question around what's happened rather than what you think happened. Um, and possibly unpicking a few smaller um, scale pictures um, in more detail and really getting the player to um, think around whether their image of what actually happened um, or what they were doing does actually tie up with what the coach is seeing and having a conversation around that rather than just giving a general um, general question or having a general discussion about where that player thinks they are I think that can be quite helpful actually watching uh, footage together um, and and unpicking the what. Yeah we've used um, individual individual development plans with um, Centre of Excellence and actually trying to gauge what they think their strengths and their work-ons are and that's been quite eye-opening because some a lot of the time it doesn't match to what we think. Um, and also we're lucky enough that we can actually get footage so we can go over it with them. Um, I think those are really powerful tools to, to use with young players. And also kind of there has been occasions where I've had some of the girls maybe leave their mess behind after they've eaten. And there's also the self-awareness of what that, what that impact is on someone else, someone who's going to clean that up after them. Um, so it's having that self-awareness of what does that mean to someone else as well so those like social skills I think are really important and still when like especially with that sense of excellence lot is actually the self-awareness around that as well. Um, yeah for me I don't think anything majorly different to how what Benny and Pat have uh, like touched on really. Um, going into Sheffield it was like a, a blank canvas for me like I didn't know what to expect from those players so kick-started it off with like trying to find out how they'd rank themselves on like different skills and like why they were part of the team and just try to build a little bit of a like a feedback from them as a blank canvas to work on and then sort of like those first couple of weeks when I was going in I was able to see well you might have like said that your strongest skill was like kicking but I've never even seen you kick or like I never even see you explore that option or when you do do it the execution isn't there but you might be thinking it's a right option um, so maybe actually where are they are they skilling themselves on the, the fact that they can do the skill or they want to do the skill or like where that perception is sort of thing. Um, and for me, just um, around like how that player fits into the team and what them values of the team are and actually half of being coachable for me, it's just like how you can actually get on with them and how they buy into the team um, and what they believe in and, and how actually you can interact with them because they could be like the best player in Yorkshire, but actually if they didn't believe in the club and what the club stands for or the team stands for, even as you as a coach, then it's just never going to work. Um, so, yeah, for me, it'd be like instilling them, them values and making sure we're on the same page. So we also set out as a team, like rewriting those and like actually what they meant to us and rather than just like, like buzzwords actually if you thought of Sheffield and I was to ask you in like a month's time what our values are, you wouldn't need to go back to the sheet and check. Like, you know, because they are what we are, like there's no thought to it. So um, we spent quite a lot of time on that and that helped me to be able to like build on my coaching with the players and things like that and being able to make them a bit more coachable. 
how, how did you actually progress that? As I think loads of people do that. I'm always interested in the progression from them existing on the page or the changing room wall to actually being lived and being recitable. And not that it's a test, but do you know what I mean? I, I think that's the bit that lots of people kind of get the start, but then it just, it falls off a little bit. So how did you make that, that kind of connection to a, a lived experience, which is then your culture or your values? Yeah, I agree. I think like there's definitely times even that it still does get lost, even if you're practicing it and stuff like it can, it can definitely get lost sometimes. But um, for me, it was just making sure that those things are like in what we do are representing it. And then when it's not actually, we'd like said that people need to be comfortable that if I see something that I could say, that's not like, that's not what we stand for, but actually a player being able to be comfortable to pull that out and actually seeing that on and off the field and that people are using those things to say, like, look, like, we're on about like that we're an inclusive club yet you're like you're keeping these people out of thought you're not including them enough and actually having those regular conversations like with like the leadership group of how they think those things are going and, and just making sure it's something you're always aware of that's are you seeing it are you not seeing it and actually have we checked up on it have we spoken about it have we mentioned those things in a training session like even rewarding if you think that you're really seeing something um so us it was like a big thing was that around our positivity as a team so like actually if that's like really present in a session like let's recognize it let's like let's actually like bring those things up and say like yeah we actually are doing the things that we set out to do and we are what we say we are I love that yeah making it tangible as you say is is absolutely crucial um Benny I'm going to jump back and ask you a question if I can please really interesting and and maybe no great surprise that sometimes what a player puts on their IDP is is quite different to what we see how did you guys as a coaching team then approach that situation was is that a conversation with them is that you've kind of just added your detail to it like how did you not undermine by suddenly going well you said your kicking's like really good and we think it's terrible how what, what was your kind of bridge of that process I think it's um being able to have those honest conversations with them and like it is it can be quite tricky especially with young centre of excellence players but I think you have to have that rapport with them first to be able to sometimes have those IDP sessions but I think they players do respect your honesty and I think there was one thing that I've listened to in a podcast with um, Pat Lamb which I'm going to take into when I have these conversations is this is kind of it's a it's a session where we have a look at your strengths and your work-ons but I will be giving you feedback and do you want that feedback because some of it might be hard to take but it's only to get you better and I think that was the question he put to his players is what do you want from me in this and they all of them said honesty and he said right I'm going to be honest can you take it and it's that can you take it bit and not a lot well none of them said no like they said yes and it kind of opens it up to them being comfortable kind of being with that honest feedback but also that conversation has to be a two-way thing and you've got to be able to justify kind of what you're saying to them as well you can't just be like oh you have to have some kind of evidence or give them some proper input that's true to be able to give that conversation I think that's brilliant I'd, yeah I'd be really interested that you flip that on his head actually how many coaches would really ask for honesty from their players around 
what they do as a coach and how they are. I think that would be, it, it's great doing it one way. If you could make it 360, then I think there's going to be some serious, serious value to that. So that would be very, very interesting to explore a bit more. Fantastic. I'm conscious of all of your times and we could definitely go on for a lot longer, but um, we will jump to uh, the kind of the final piece. So here, do you have any recommendations in terms of content for people to check out uh, whenever they have some free time? Uh, yeah, um, another one by Sideshow for me um, I'd recommend was with um, Pippa Grange and it was How to Fear Less. Uh, so I've been recently listening to um, a podcast called Black Girls Ruck um, and I think it would be a really good podcast that everyone could listen to and learn from. Fantastic. Just give us a very brief rundown. What, what's it kind of, what type of stuff is it covering? Um, so it, it covers... Um, well, the, the two podcasts that I've listened to, one with um, Shauna Brown and Tisha Harper, and then there was um, another one with Three Wasps Girls. And it's kind of how they started in rugby and also some of the, the barriers to how black girls get involved in rugby. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's important that people listen and trying to understand and we need to do better as a rugby community to have more black girls playing rugby fantastic that's a great point i love that yeah we'll check that out thank you very much Pat. um mine's not so much recent content that i've been doing recently um but i've actually been going back to games from about a, a decade perhaps longer ago and just obviously the the games evolved massively but um and in and some ways the skill's gone up and the physicality's gone up but there are ways that I've started to notice um, that we played rugby then and we don't use so much now. And I've just been thinking about whether that's a good loss or a bad loss at times. So for me, that's been an interesting learning, um, learning opportunity recently. I love that. That's ace. Please tell me we're bringing back the, uh, the tap and go penalty with the wall. We, we've got to run that this year. I've been banging on about that for years. I think it'd be incredible. So yeah, I'm holding to that now. And, and we've got proof, which is great. So yeah. there we go. Love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, thank you all. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I hope you did as well. There's um, an absolute ton of takeaways within that. And I will quickly round up the roundup. So uh, to our listeners, we hope you found it useful. Thank you to my guests again for their excellent insight. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. Please subscribe, like and share. I'd like to thank you as always for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. Bye.